Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed Inspiration to Publication, Episode 46, Super Show. Today, we are joined by Steve Rusk, the designer and CEO slash co-founder of SRG Universe. Thanks for being on the show. Danielle, it is my pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me. We got SRG Universe, <laughs> which so, is... Yeah, I was going to say, what does it stand for? Most consistently, some random guy's universe. There are a lot of people who say it's Steve Rusk Gaming Universe, which... Uh, at one point, might have been some of the inspiration, but officially, it is some random guy's universe. So, they want to put my name actually on the company. Oh, that's so funny! I feel like that's one of the go-to moves for people starting companies, and I'm at fault too because, like, I have DMR Creative Group, which are my initials. But that could be anything. I feel like it seems like a, a higher level of ego, if I would call it like Steve Rest Universe, you know. And while I'm really proud of what we created, I don't think my name needs to be plastered. Like, I wouldn't know what DMR is. You can make up anything at that point. Very true. Honestly, it sounds like it could be a person's name. But for, all right, let's go back. So for anyone who does not know you and how you got into this industry, mind given your origin story? Yeah, I actually, uh, I got into this industry, I would say, unplanned. It was not my goal to be a game designer uh, at the time, I was working in restaurants. I was going to school for a couple different things, most consistently biomedical informatics. Uh, but as a kid, I played trading card games a lot. One of the biggest parts of my childhood was this game called WWE Raw Deal, created by a guy named Baron Banger Top and uh, Mike Foley. And I played this game a lot as a kid. You know, when throughout my high school years. I played with my brother, with my friends at the local stores. We would travel to stores. Sometimes we actually travel to other states for competitions. There was a huge part of my childhood. I actually won a qualifier in that game, beating my brother, who let me win. You know, to this day, I still think I might have beat him, but he yeah. did let me win clear as day. You know, in the finals of this qualifying match, and I won a trip to go see WrestleMania because of this. And as a kid, this was like one of my favorite things in the world, wrestling. I went to the trip. I had a good time. I did pretty well for the world championship. I didn't win. Uh, but on the way home, my flight was delayed, and the creator of the game, Baron Banger Toth, was on my flight. He was a huge guy, larger than life. I'm probably making up numbers, but he was well over six foot. He probably pushing yeah. 500 pounds. He was a giant. Uh, and people who knew that knew you know, that's what we got. At a baron. I remember I asked him who was sitting next to him on the plane, and he said, Well, you see, uh, me and NBA players have to buy two seats on an airplane. Uh, and it was the truth. He did actually have two seats on that flight. He was that big. Wow. Anyway, I, I really looked up to this guy because he was a game designer of this game I played. I probably have never read a book for leisure. He was reading a book. He recommended this book called The Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by David Eggers. That was the first book I ever read on my own. Wasn't told to do it by a teacher or a class. Uh, I really just kind of wanted to be accepted by Baron. So I read a book. That kind of changed my whole life because I started reading a lot more books after that. Um, and then later on in life, I played other games one of the most notable games that I credit to like being able to design Super Show is a game called Tops Attack. And it was a dollar a pack in Target. And me and a couple of friends probably spent five to 10 bucks each to try it out. We brought it back to our local store. We played this game. It was an absolute train wreck. The game was terrible. It had nothing to do with football. Oh, no. It was basically like a cash grab. But me, I took the game and I remade the rules. I didn't add anything to it. I used all the existing cards that they had. I basically made you play four quarters because that's what you play in a football game. You had to have a whole team of 16 people and you had a salary cap. And I basically played the same rule. And people loved this version of this game that I had made. And we had a couple stores, maybe two or three local stores that were actually selling out of Tops Attack. Uh, and one of the guys that I was playing with said, why don't we design our own game? We can make a UFC game. And I was like, okay, we give it a shot. I came up with the rules for a UFC game. The guy at the time that I was working with, uh, there were two people. One guy basically filled in all the card effects. So like, we came up with this mechanic together. I would say I 
designed the game a little bit more. He filled in the two sets of releases that were supposed to be there. And we had a third person who kind of was along for the ride. We pitched this idea to Tops. I don't know why somebody said that Tops would be the person to talk to because they had the rights. I just kept calling Tops every week until eventually somebody answered the phone. I told them I had a product I wanted to show them. And they set up a meeting, which was like insane that we were three kids walking into one of the biggest yeah, car so design companies. How old are you at this point? I'm just curious. Uh, man, I've been through a lot of stuff, so I'm not sure exactly. I would say 21, 22-ish. Okay, because uh, when you, you say know? kids, I'm like imagining like 8 or 12 yeah, or no, like I, something like right, young, young. Like now at my age, I'm only 34, but I feel much older. Um, like I felt like I was a kid at that time, meaning like sure. – I had no responsibilities. I was in college. And like, yeah, that's fair. So anyway, I was uh, not too young. Good clarification. We pitched this idea to Tops, and they really liked us as a group, but they didn't like the idea of a UFC game. Um, but they did like the idea that we got people to buy Tops Attack, which to them, they said the football version flopped here. Uh, the soccer version did great overseas. The wrestling version went did okay. Uh, but football did really bad. So the idea that people were buying Tops Attacks was very interesting to them. They were very upfront with us that they did not think that people who play trading card games are the same people that watch UFC. And I agree with them almost 100%. I'm sure there are folks that love UFC. I don't think those are the people staying at the comic book stores on the weekends and playing trading card games. So they had asked if we would design a wrestling game. And I like, this was ecstatic for me because I love wrestling. I loved Raw Deal. I don't even like UFC. Not even that I don't yeah. watch it. I just don't enjoy watching two people actually fight. Sure. It just doesn't do it for me. So like having a, to do something else, you know, WWE, which is my favorite thing. Uh, one of my favorite things I should say growing up, this was like an honor. The guys I was working with did not want to, for whatever reason, switch up their game plan. And I felt if you're going to get an offer from a major company, you should play ball with them. This is a big opportunity. Oh, for sure. So I ended up going on my own. I continued meetings with Tops um, with a proposal for Super Show the Game. And the original thing that I drew up deliberately was a board game style game with the same sort of rules, but rather than having a deck of cards, you had a board game. Uh, and they really liked me and they really liked the concept. They wanted to push towards a traditional version of a collectible card game. And originally, I didn't want to do that because I loved Raw Deal so much as a game that I didn't want to replace it. But I really came to terms with the fact that this game was done and I have an amazing opportunity to design a game. Uh, so let's go roll with that. Uh, and I did. I ended up changing Super Show over from a board game to a trading card game. Um, it was a little bit more complex at first. There were four card types rather than three. But I literally just kept chopping away at it, getting it simpler and simpler. And what I started to do was looking at raw deal a game that i really liked and started to see like the flaws that it had in my opinion and some things that i didn't like about raw deal and i don't want to make it like i'm blasting this game because i'm not it was incredible yeah. it just didn't feel like a wrestling game to me like when i play a game i want to be immersed in that world i don't want to be playing a game that has pictures of wrestling on it i want to feel like i'm having a wrestling match so I started doing that with Super Show. And one of the things I liked was having dice aspect in it. Like dice make things unpredictable and anything can happen. Uh, and that's sort of the feel of a wrestling match. So I had added that element in. And I played other trading card games when I was a kid that had dice. And I always found that exciting. So I refined this game into what I felt could do what the tagline says. Live all your wildest wrestling fantasies without ever taking a chair shot. Uh, and I was pitching it to Tops. And I even went a little bit further to tell them, hey, you have the licensing right to, at the time, which they no longer do, they had Tops, had WWE, Marvel, Star Wars, and UFC. So I actually skinned out versions where it's like, you can not only use this amazing game mechanic, but you can apply it to Star Wars too. And you can have John Cena fight Darth Vader, and you can have Wolverine fight uh, John Cena. It would be amazing. You know, you guys have the, the ability to do this. They hated that idea. Um, and now you look at like smash up and like the funko games oh and that's what i would push i'm like do you know like the coolest things ever are mortal Kombat, right street fighter these are things that we grew up with super smash brothers smash up you named it like people love that but they shut it down they basically promised me 
then I would get a contract that I was very happy with. I went to a whole bunch of meetings with them. I remember the first time I pitched Super Show as a trading card game, it had little pieces of paper that I had cut out by hand that looked like fortune cookies, like the little insert in the fortune cookie paper. Yeah. Because I just didn't know anything about sizing or spacing or anything. They loved my pitch. They actually invited a VP down and one of the head of marketing for WWE downstairs for me to re-pitch to them again. So that was a real honor, you know, looking back that I was able to not only pitch it, but they brought it in their higher ups and said, hey, you got to check this out. So it, I was told for a very long time that I would get a deal that I would be very happy with. And while I was in college and working, um, I just kept waiting and waiting. And sometimes I was spending money to copyright things and trademark things out of you know, paranoia that they would take my idea. And it just never was going anywhere. So I set myself the deadline. If I don't hear from them by Gen Con, I believe it was 2014, uh, I am going to make up my own characters and I'm going to publish this game with my own characters. So I had some friends that I was working with. We designed El Super Hombre, Snake Pit, The Big Shot, and The Rising Sun. Uh, and we designed these characters. And I ended up hiring an artist. And believe it or not, I was probably paying about $10 an image to an artist now, Nuno, who was so incredible. He went on to do a video game publishing company. He's got a whole design studio. You know, and you want to go back so far ago we were doing deals for $10 a picture because he was just starting. I was just starting. It's really incredible wow. to see that I got to work with this guy at that price. And I think it was $300, like 300 plus, right? I ordered the four characters and I took the trading card game that I designed that had multiple cards. And I came up with the idea of why don't I just build one deck as a person who considers himself a good gamer and that's the box set. So rather than do all the stuff that other games do to trap you, you got to chase the good cards. you got to get them. The design and the point of the game is that the deck comes right in the box that you want. And then we just release different versions of the game that you can customize instead of going like you would do with other games and opening it up, you know, a whole case trying to pull the cards you want. So keeping this in mind, I said, I'm going to design the game. I'm going to make sure you only need one copy of each card, right? So it's not like other games where you might need three or four. And I numbered my cards, one through 30. And I realized that that was a great system that I could use to expand on the game. So the original design that I had was if you were getting the licensing from Tops and they would provide all the images for me, I can make each deck the same, but I could make it reflect the person it was. So if you bought a John Cena deck, it would look all like John Cena and have him on each one. So when I number the cards to keep it in order, I realized that I could use the numbers as a slotting system for the card. And then you have to play with cards number one through 30. And this would also eliminate something that I didn't like from games like Raw Deal and Magic called Power Creep, where over time the cards just got better and better and better. And you, you know, if you got into a game early, most of the time your cards were obsolete as the game grew because they had to keep making better cards for you to buy them. But what I realized with Super Show is if I number the cards, I can put, I can make stronger cards, but that puts them in a different card number. So if I felt like, oh, this card is really strong, it's going to be a card number 22. And now we started a way to like identify power levels of cards. So over the time, we could keep adding to it um, without throwing the game balance off. So I know there's a lot of moving parts to this, but basically I was asked to make a game and I had to work in with the resources that I had. And because I only had so little money, I had to change the concept of a trading card where you had multiple card choices right, to I had to just give you the best of the best. And now I refined that down into a 130 card deck. Uh, and that's how El Super Rome Reverse Snake Pit came out because I said, I'm just going to make the best overall deck no matter which character you're playing with, but you can still customize by switching your characters out. And I set up this game um, and I took my initial investment was the artwork that I had commissioned before I had a partner at this point. Uh, and I printed some samples at a local card shop. A friend of my uncle's was was a printer, not for game design. And he printed them, you know, they, they didn't have borders. They had like a crappy gloss that you wouldn't use for trading card games. They, they had like the, they weren't too like flexible. They creased a little bit. 
So yeah. it wasn't what you would use for a trading card game, but I had a nice prototype that I could use. I also didn't have boxes. So we had this crazy idea to use Chinese food containers because it was a really cheap way to package the product. Like if you go to a Chinese food restaurant, they're giving these things out for nothing, right? So we used that and we incorporated it into the story of our character. You know, when I was working on this, I was talking to my uncle like about using a Chinese food container and some of my friends that I was working with the game on, wouldn't it be amazing if it was in a Chinese food container for a reason, these guys wrestle in an underground world and they're recruited by somebody doing Chinese food delivery. So you're invited to this like fight club type thing um, by a Chinese food delivery. And that's why we ended up packaging it in there. And then we started writing this into this, the stories of the characters we were developing. Then I also needed dice for this game because I said we wanted to have a dice component and we didn't have dice. So what I did was I ordered blank counting cubes. They were just white or green squares, some yellow, some red. And I printed on sticker paper all the six symbols that I had created for the game. Uh, originally, they were just colors. They were just like the red, purple, green, yellow, blue, orange. Yeah. Uh, I just had a regular sticker, so I stuck them on individually on these. And then when I made my own logos for it, I had to print it on sticker paper and cut them out with like a tiny, tiny scissor. And me and my friends basically stuck all these dice by hand. And they, they still float around to these days. Um, so I actually had like a good product here. I ended up getting a friend of mine to sign on as a partner. This way we could fund the print run of the more cards and the dice and the Chinese food containers and the stickers for it. And we ended up loading this car up and driving to Gen Con and demoing it with some of the other wrestling game fans. And people loved it. They're like, where the hell can I get this? And people were offering to buy the Chinese food container ones for me for $20. And I think we sold a good amount of them. Like on the first time we brought them out, you know, we were just demoing. We probably weren't even supposed to be selling where we were. But people just kept buying it saying, this is amazing. You've got to take this to Kickstarter. This is such a great game. Uh, and then after that, we did. We put it on Kickstarter for an $8,000 goal. And it took a very long time to hit that goal of 8000 We got to about 7000 I remember that four weeks that I was doing it, every single week I'd be in the car at a local store. I would try to go to Pennsylvania, Jersey, New York. That's my area I'm from. But a friend of mine, uh, Maurice Thompson, who's since passed, and we would go with one demo sign and a couple things of this in Chinese food containers and teach people how to play. And everybody seemed to really have a blast with it. Um, and we were able to fund the Kickstarter. For me, like $7,000 was an astronomical amount of money. And I actually yeah. had a relative who was like, how much you need to go over? $1,000? Here you go. I want to see you succeed. And I was like, wow. You know, I still call Uncle Donnie. It's uh, an in-law. I still call him, you know, every couple of years. Uh, every year, every you know, few months on holidays and stuff, and he's probably sick of hearing it, but I continue to thank him from this day because I wouldn't have what I had without that initial check. But we were able to fund it, uh, and once we were able to fund it, we went overseas. We manufactured a really beautiful product. I had a great team that was able to execute that. We did all our self distribution on it, and we were doing pretty well for like the startup concept of a company. And that's really how everything started. It really evolved when we decided to not print overseas anymore and print locally and work with a printing partner. And that was really the, the birth, I'd say. After that first Kickstarter, when sealed product arrives, that was really when things were, it, it became real as a company. That's so amazing. Just going from playing with tops and then realizing like this game is crap <laughs> yeah. and actually getting to talk to them and to decide that you had a product good enough to just carry on and do it yourself. And the Chinese food containers is pretty funny. <laughs> and we get, I, I get to tops building. It's in Manhattan. You take, you got to go through security, take your photo, you know, put a little badge on and you get off the elevator and it's this, insane office building i mean it says tops in metallic letters right when you get off there's sports memorabilia and like superhero memorabilia everywhere and toys and candy you know like right before you get in and when i walked in i was like this is what i want to do in my life you know like i i was all over the place growing up who wanted to be a chef who wanted to do this you know who wanted to be a, a teacher a consultant, you know, I had so many different things that I wanted to do growing up. But I knew when I walked in that building, I looked around 
And I realized that like, it was all the things I loved as a kid here professionally, beautifully on display that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to contribute it to this somehow. That's so cool. And for anyone who hasn't played uh, Super Show, would you mind explaining how the gameplay works? I would love to. So Super Show the Game is modeled after the rules of wrestling, professional wrestling, if you've ever seen it on TV. And just like real wrestling, the object of the game is you want to hit one of your three finish cards for a chance to win. Every deck has three. It's pre-constructed with 30 cards. To play a finish card, you have to have any follow-up in play. You have 15 follow-ups. And to play a lead uh, follow-up, you have to have a lead in play. So it goes lead, follow-up, finish. And they compete in the Legendary Fighting Federation or the LFF to help you remember that order. Now, what makes the game really fun and exciting is you have a color-coded skill dice that matches up with the skill chart on your competitor card. So basically each turn, I know you don't have a visual here, we roll a dice. Whoever gets the highest value draws one card and gets to play a card for their turn. So if I win the first roll, I can play a lead. If I win the second roll, I can play a lead or a follow-up. If I win the roll after that, I can play a finish card for a chance to win. So it's very exciting and back and forth because you don't rotate turns like other games, like I go, you go. You could win a couple turn rolls in a row or your opponent can do the same. Uh, And because you only play one card, you kept very engaged. But what makes it very fun and exciting and thematic to wrestling is when you do hit the finish card, the game is not over. You're going to try to pin your opponent just like real wrestling. So you'll roll a dice roll, which will be called your finish roll, and your opponent will have three breakout rolls to tie or beat that. That's going to be symbolizing answering the referee's three counts. So if I roll my dice and I get nine, my opponent will have three chances to get nine or higher, and that'll be the first roll up is seven, so that's one. The second roll up is six, two. The third time he rolls, last chance, he rolls a 10, he kicks out. Now the crowd is going to go crazy because you kicked out of the finishing move. We have a crowd meter that keeps track of that. The cards in play are discarded, and we'll have to roll up our dice again and basically race to finish again by playing lead follow-ups and finishes. As the match goes on, the finishing moves get a little bit stronger. So it really feels like you're in a wrestling match. If you kick out of your opponent's finishing move, you're still in the match and you could fight, you know, and come back. And so many people after playing it was like, that was incredible. I really felt like I was having a wrestling match. And to me, that was such an honor because that's what we had tried to accomplish. And it really was just something that was super easy to learn. We called it play it forward. After one game, you should be able to teach somebody how to play. And most people had a good grasp on doing that. And it was just a really fun, light game that is super strategic if you get down to it. You know, that's the beauty of Super Show. It's going to make you feel like you're having a wrestling match. Anybody can step in the ring and win. But you can get a slight advantage by knowing the card numbers, almost like blackjack. If you are familiar with the original deck and what cards are in which number, a really strategic player can then make calculated choices instead of flinging cards out. And what I mean by that is, say, I can see your card number 13, 19, and 25. A smart player will know, okay, now I play blue cards against my opponent's grapples because he can't stop blue cards anymore. Uh, So it's a very easy game to play. Anyone can step in and have a chance to win. But it is also deeply strategic for a game with you know, one page of rules. And I think that's what people really love about it is not only that can they pretend they're a wrestler, but as they play it more, they know that there's this strategy to it. And that's, you know, gratifying as someone playing games. So how many dice are the players rolling and are they D6s? So it is a custom dice. We call it a super show skill dice. Essentially, it is equivalent to a D6, but it is not. So you have colors and symbols that match up to your card. So for example, every card We'll have red, purple, yellow, green, orange, and red. That's called grapple, submission, strike, agility, technique, and power. And every character has five through ten distributed through that. So mathematically, if you have five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, it is the same as rolling a D6, which is one, two, three, four, five, six. It doesn't really feel that way. You're not using a D6, but it's the same. Both players have the same odds of rolling in a vacuum, uh, the higher roll. So nobody has two tens per se or two nines without like an effect that changes it. So you get one super show skill dice each, but if you really wanted to, you could play super show with a D six. It would take like an extra step of calculating like red is one 
blue is two, so on and so forth. Very cool. And are you able to play like teams? I know with wrestling, a lot of times you do have duos. So everything you can do in professional wrestling, you can do in Super Show from tag team to triad matches, which are three people. You could do duos or tornado matches, which are two people on a team. You could do four people versus each other. You could do six people battle royals. Uh, the largest match we ever had to date was a 106-person over-the-top grand battle where let one man was left standing. It took an hour just to introduce the 106-person participants on its own. Oh, uh, it was an awesome time. We had to rent out a hotel to do that. Uh, but that is another thing that people really love is that you can do anything. We could play right now. If you come to a Super Show event, it's not going to be like a Magic the Gathering event, which again, Magic, great game, uh, costs a second mortgage to play. But you are playing one versus one the whole way through. You go to a Super Show event, you might randomly be in a tag team match. You might find yourself in a steel cage match with different rules. And you know, people that are there to have a good time and play a fun game, they really love that because it's immersing you in the world more so than, you know, playing a chess competition is how I like to describe it. But yeah. So how do you work it out then if you have multiple people? Are you just like rolling to see who goes first? Like, how do you do, especially like a three-person game? So a three-person game would essentially be the same rules. All three players would roll the dice. The player with the highest roll would take a turn. Uh, and we use what is described by by players as tunnels. So say it's me, Danielle, and John P., the player of the era, uh, playing in a match. I roll a 10, you roll a 9, he rolls a 5. It's my turn. I can choose to either play against you, Danielle, or play against John P. And then after I play my one card, we roll again collectively, and whoever gets the highest roll gets to go. Um, that is the simplest explanation. What makes it really fun is that you have the option to work with people randomly. So for example, if I roll my dice and it's purple, and you roll your dice, and it's also purple, and John rolled his dice, and he would beat both of us, we could high-five or fist pump. As long as we make physical contact, we now add our rolls together, and we attack him. So it's like, now get him, we're working as a team. <laughs> oh, that's um, so mean. That's so funny, though. It's really fun. And then there are matches where in wrestling, if you lose, Danielle, I also lose the match, right? So I want to help you at every chance I can. If you're getting pinned, I'm going to roll my dice with you three times on your three breakout rolls. And if I match the colors, then I add my rolls to yours again. So I could come save the match and it goes on. It gets very, very exciting, uh, especially that the random element is mixed in it, right? Because even if you want to work with somebody, you can't work with them uh, on all aspects unless you randomly roll the same color as them. Gotcha. So then as far as like the base game, is that what people start with? Or can you start with like any deck? Tell me how that works. So I will tell you a little bit about the evolution, but where we are at, we started off with four characters of Super Ombre, Snake Pit, Big Shot, and Rising Sun, and you could buy the decks with those characters in them, uh, and that was it. Over the years, we were able to introduce more cards and more box sets, so you can actually customize your deck based on the box sets. What I would recommend for somebody getting in is you always get a Super Ombre versus Snake Pit um, as the first purchase. If you're looking to understand the strategy of the game, if you don't care and you want to just fling cards at your opponent, which is perfectly fine, you can grab any box set. But if you want to know all the card numbers and all they were designed, you get the El Super Ombre vs. Snake Pit box set. Uh, and that was always our model to give you all the best stuff in a pre-constructed deck. However, over time, we released new box sets that give you access to different card numbers, so our card pool kept growing. Um, and what we did once we realized we had a lot of cards that people wanted is we started making one player decks and one player decks were designed specifically for that character. And they took cards from all the box sets that we already had released because we don't have any packs or randomization at that point. So what I would recommend somebody get into the game, they get a two player box set, they get, they learn how to play. I like this game. I want something that's a little bit more customized. I pick up one of the one player decks that has everything that I need in it from there. And then you're ready to play right out of the box. You know, there's other stuff that you can grab, like random mystery boxes and payoff packs. If you want to try to grab some things that are not in box sets. But we try to make everything available to our customers by direct purchase. The contents of the box are listed on the side. We also list single cards on the website, where if you want a card that was in a box set, but you don't want to buy the whole box set, you could just go to the website and buy it. Uh, and to me... 
this is what gaming should be about because we're not trying to trap our customers and say these new cards are going to come out you need four of them for that for your deck to be playable and guess what in six months you can't use it anymore and it, people have really responded to that that we make the game affordable don't get me wrong danielle i'll be i'm a very honest person with my business there are 400 characters and tons of cards to choose from. If you want a second mortgage to try to collect everything that we release, you will absolutely have one. <laughs> but the difference is between this game and another game that people play competitively, there's no game where you can go and buy a deck for $30 and it's pre-constructed with every great card that you can imagine. You know, So that's why people really like it because they've never heard of this game before. I want to play, I make a $30 purchase and I'm playing with people that have been playing for six years because they got everything right in the box. Uh, and people have really responded to that, that we've kept the game affordable or somebody who bought a deck four years ago sits down and plays and his deck is still viable because of the card numbers. Uh, and that's really what's gotten people in uh, and gotten them to stick around for seven years. That's amazing. And then talk to me about the special feature where you can create your own card. You can flat out pay us money and we'll commission the artwork and we will design a card i stress to people that i have 100 percent say in what the character does you pick what it looks like and what it's called however i do work with everyone one-to-one -to, -one to design their character i put in that safety net because sometimes you get people that are just like not flexible and they think they know the game that you design better than you and you know you just don't want to get into that stalemate so you know you pay for it you pick what you want to do uh you design it and we work with you i did two of them this morning we do a show called expanding the universe uh, one of them was a character who calls himself pride he was like a goliath with a baseball bat he had some friends that were in the community um he was fighting with them on the cards which is really a part of the storytelling of wrestling like your your opponents in wrestling in real life we know wrestling is staged are not really your opponents you work with them to put on a show so it's almost like an honor when somebody wants you to be on their card so he had his friends on the card and the second character we made was a character called El Hombre Cybernetico, and it was really great to talk to Carlos Lumbri, the creator of that character. Uh, he's a cancer survivor, uh, and he lost some the hearing, and so he had some issues with his spine. And little by little, he had implants put in his body, um, starting with you know in his brain, in his ear. He has Bluetooth in his ear to help him help him hear. And he created this character, which is like a bionic man about him and his story and him overcoming cancer. Uh, and it's this amazing Terminator looking character. Uh, and we had an awesome design with it where he's doing like a, a satellite scan in his eye of his opponent. And he's got like doing an awesome power bomb. And we designed this character with him live on the show. We talked about where his skills should be, what his moves should be called and why, a little bit about the inspiration. And it's really an amazing experience. Um, and a lot of people take us up on that offer to design a character because they think it's a really rewarding process and they love the outcome. We also have ways that you can win them throughout the year. Right now, we have a creator character competition going on. It's the 2021 one. It takes about a year to wrap it up. We're in the final eight. The fans vote each round. Uh, eventually until there's one person standing and that person gets a character made in the game. Sometimes our team really likes somebody who doesn't win and we give away extra ones. We also have competitions where if you play the game, you win and you get to make a character. Some of our top players have won three or four times, you know, um, which shows that there's a lot of strategy in the game. But that's really one of the things that sets us apart. But not only do we allow characters, we allow card creation and alt art versions. If this is your favorite card. You can commission the artwork. We link up with an artist. We put you or whoever you want with their approval on that card. And now that card is a card in circulation. And, you know, it's amazing when people have a card that they like and now they can put themselves on. Or what I really found, which is something I'm really proud of, our community, as I said, we founded it on Play It Forward. The amount of people who buy it as gifts and giveaways for their friends is really astonishing. Uh, people, you know, it's a great birthday gift for a friend, a spouse, a loved one. Let me get them a Super Show card, you know, and they reach out to us and we tell them what cards they like, what things they like, and we make a lot of amazing gifts that way. 
for other people. That's super cool. I, that is very unique compared to a lot of other ones. I remember in like 2019, I worked at a Gen Con like Kickstarter booth and they did have like the super pledge or whatever, where there's like 10 spots where if you want to do it, you could be one of the humans that are on board getting mutated by aliens. But it's like, you'd be one of the first to pay however much money. And I thought that was really cool. But sadly, theirs did not fund where yours clearly continues to keep going. That's not, we're not the first, we're not the last. I think the level of customization that we use and interaction where you can actually get on the phone with the game creator and talk it through and, you know, or email or however they choose to do it is a level that most places don't offer. Um, and it's a slippery slope for me because I got to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence and checking everything and I keep the game as fair and balanced as I can. But it really helps the game thrive because as I said, we're not doing traps to get people's money by design where other games do. Like I very easily could say, this is the best card you need. You need multiple of them and you can't get it unless you you know, open up our random products. And we do release things in our random products, but we make sure that they're not things that you have to have, which other games, you know, make it the opposite. So the way people could support us that they like what we're doing is I like these guys. Uh, I don't have to spend $500 to make my deck good. Let me spend $500 and design two cards. And now I have access to those cards um, directly and I could give them away to my friends. I could trade them. I could do whatever I want. And they go in circulation. And now something I created is in the hands of hundreds and hundreds of people. So it's, it's a way that they could support us and grow the game without us having to destroy the uh, integrity of the game, so to say. Oh, that's so amazing. For the initial game that you made, how long do you think it took to go from like when Tops was like, hey, make this wrestling game to you putting them in the like Chinese containers and giving them to the first people at Gen Con? Do you know how long that like uh, time frame of inspiration to publication went in? It all feels like a blip. I know that we could probably look it up and document exactly like when we started through the, you know, the miracle of like Facebook posts and things like that. But I would say probably from design to inception within a year uh and again i don't know if that's a you know fully quote me on that but that feels about right that from the moment wow. we started working on it and then you know moving forward probably like a year maybe two years you know if we're talking including like the ufc design in it which i don't know if that counts but everything just kind of moves so fast and even when things did do well, you know, more so than other games, it was several years before I was able to walk away from any other job. So there was like a, mm -hmm. a, a lot of times where even though people would consider it mildly successful compared to other projects, um, I was still working full time on other things and trying to do a juggling act of both. And, you know, the whole time we had a lot of success early on and, and, you know, we never did the mega, mega Kickstarter with $500,000. You know, we were consistently growing eventually and getting up over $50,000 in backers. But the difference between what we had and other games is we weren't one wave of Kickstarter and then gone or, you know, one order. We had people consistently looking for it and stores consistently looking for it. And we were able to basically start, a distribution center in my basement, you know, and just filling out these orders that we were packing by hand. And then eventually we got a distribution deal with GTS, you know, which is pretty life changing from a business standpoint, but not a financial standpoint, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously we did very well with GTS, but it wasn't like I'm now signed with GTS. I'm set for the rest of my life. It was, wow, we're actually the smallest company that they ever worked with. And if we continue to do well, then not only can we have a distributor, you know, grab these games and other games we make, but we might even be able to have distributors competing for us in a couple of years. You know, it just opened up a lot of doors and opportunities and credibility more so than anything where I could be on the phone with a store and I'm not the guy selling, you know, games out of Chinese food containers from my basement or my trunk, which is, which I was, I'm the guy who you could either go directly to my website or go to GTS. who you might've been using for the past six or seven years and you're comfortable with. So that was really a big solidification for us. That is so amazing. How big is your team now? Uh, we are, we have uh, essentially four owners, my wife 
Holmes, uh, part of the website. I have myself and John and Griff. Uh, we probably have about seven artists on full time ish. Uh, a couple guys in the warehouse. So that's two more. So five, 11, 13. Uh, I'd say 13 people on a daily ish basis. If you start getting into streamers, we have a couple of people who stream for us. We have editors, we have comic book writers. You know, a lot of stuff is independent contracting and based on products um, that we're putting out and um, not products, but contracts that we're setting up. But I would say we have over, you know, 13 people working at this every day, maybe on the higher side. Yeah, I was gonna say like, that's a massive success story. And it's so funny. So like, when I met you, and I got the chance to play this game, this is the second sports game I'd ever played in my entire life. That was like a board game or card game. Actually, you're the first card game I've ever played. The other one was a board game. Wow, that's a, that's an awesome little uh, accomplishment to be able to do it. And I think sports games, aside from fantasy games, not to pat myself on the back are more difficult to do because there's a clear like rules and flavor you have to con you know have to get but when you're doing something that's involving storytelling or fantasies you're kind of free to interpret it the way you want you know but like for example at gen con i tried a football game and like as somebody who's familiar with football i'm very critical of like is this reflective of what's going on yes or no yeah. So I think to pull that off is very hard. Where if I was making something up, anything goes. I can do whatever I want. And you just kind of along for the ride and the experience. Very true. So if you were to give a designer any like piece of advice, what would you give them? Keep it simple. Especially if you're unknown. You know, attention is very yeah. hard to capture. And I think Super Show is very successful because the original version I had was much more complete. Uh, much more complex and i think that i was basically getting in the way letting my own enthusiasm and maybe even intelligence for something like this get in the way of myself and i kept you know doing what i was calling cutting away the fat and just refining it don't need this this is an extra layer of complexity it doesn't add enough value this is hard this is hard you know I, i try to think about how intelligent the average gamer is the average person is and half of the world is less intelligent than that. And I don't mean that as an insult, but I I don't think that when somebody sits down to be entertained for an hour, their initial go-to is, oh my God, how do I master this, right? They just want to play the game and have fun. But what's great about Super Show is if you want to master it, you can get there. But I don't think nearly people would have given me the time of day if I had a five-page rule book and all these nuances on how to play um, and it was something really, really complex because then how would people even go home in their, you know, at a convention, go back to their apartment or their playgroup and play it a second time? To me, I don't know. I can't even imagine going to Gen Con or all these stores and having to teach one person at a time a game that might take four hours, you know, or an hour or 45 minutes before you could get the wheels going. Super Show, I can explain it to you in a minute. And we can start playing within that minute and you know what's going on after a couple of turns. And I think that that's really because of simplicity. And if I build myself a huge gaming empire, which we're working on, then I think would be the time to give people a more in-depth game. And we have designed more games that are much more strategy-based. But I think if it's your first game, you have to be passionate about it. You have to work your butt off. But before you do any of that, you have to have a really simple game that you can introduce people to. Yeah, I can definitely say that I picked up how to play the game just by watching you demo it to somebody else before I sat down. But I think that's great advice and actually hasn't been said much. So more original than everybody else. (laughs) Normally it's play more games tends to be the number one advice. I play a decent amount of games. I would say I'm probably a game designer that has played far fewer games than most other people uh, and a lot of people say oh have you played this it's like that you play that and it's like nah, i haven't played that many games i've probably played like to date you know 40 board games including ones i play at home so i wow. think that like you really just like i had definite inspirations from game like raw deal and mlb showdown but i think you have to really put your own spin on it and you have to bring your own thing to the table. Because if it's too much like something else, then people might gravitate towards the original, you know? For sure. And do you have like a favorite and a least favorite experience in this journey of Super Show? 
Favorite is tough. I'm really fortunate. I've seen some amazing things uh, from making a lot of money for my family uh, and starting a business and going to events with 100 people cheering and crying and celebrating and partying. So overall, favorite is very tough. I have so many beautiful moments that some of them are huge and very out in the public. And some of them are very intimate with some of our players, you know, sharing their personal pain or journey. So it'd be very hard for me to pick a favorite part. Um, least favorite, I think that I've lost friends or people that I considered friends, even if they were customers um, and supporters of the game because of decisions that I've made in the game that I thought were for the best interest and they took it as a personal attack and there was no real way to like get it out of their head that like, this is obviously not personal. Like if I change your fictional character in a game I designed, because I think I made it too strong. Um, that's not like any, a strike against you. And I've had a lot of friends kind of come and go. And that to me is always my least favorite part of it because I actually get in this because I want to network with people. I want to make connections with people. I want to have fun experiences. And obviously life can't always be like that. But when you're getting involved in something that's supposed to be passionate and fun, and there are people that you've sat down with and been friends with, and now they like, don't even, they excommunicate you over something so trivial. I, I feel like that's a cost that definitely goes in the like least favorite department. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. I've, can't imagine like how I would have something equivalent to that unless I like made a play tester very upset, but, um, that's a real bummer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, play testing to me is a, is a nightmare. I had a play testing group of about 20 people and literally all they did was fight who would disagree, who would disagree with like cold, hard statistics. So now we play test super show, but it's very hands-on through me. You know, I, I do a lot of stuff one-to-one with people rather than in a group setting because who's trying to make their friend's character better and I'm trying to keep it anonymous, but you still know what your friend was working on and who's trying to push it through. So like that sort of aspect of it is very difficult to manage. Oof. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're adding a lot more egos into the mix. Um, and especially it's... when the cards might look like them, right? Like this card does looks yep. like me and I and I don't think I'm as good as this other person. And like as good as subjective, right? Like so it's a very hard conversation to have with people sometimes. That's what I was saying earlier is like I have final say. And I'm not saying it because I'm authoritative, because I'm absolutely not. I talk with all my players, I work through it. But like sometimes me and you are not on the same page the same page and eventually, like because of deadlines and decisions, I have to say, Well, I'm sorry, this is what you're getting and we move on. You know, and that sometimes is a very difficult conversation to have with people. Oh, I'm sure. Do you have any other projects that a fan should be looking out for? I have too many plates in the air uh, at all times. Super Show the Game keeps me very, very busy. We have done some, I would put like air quotes, spinoffs, you know, more different versions of the game that aren't just box sets. We did the Time Warp now, which is basically sci-fi characters that play by the same rules and the same federations. Um, that was, you know, you might see some kaiju characters, some superhero themed characters. We, we introduced the Cosmic Crusaders and the Marauders of the Multiverse. That stuff is really exciting. Uh, we also did an anime version of the game. If you're into like summoners and warriors and, and vampires and things with supernatural abilities, um, that's called the Ikazo universe where some of our characters we created over there, that should be coming out around February of 2023. I also co-wrote Super Show the comic with a good friend of mine, Patrick Mulligan, who's the oldest living member of the LFF Hall of Fame, by the way. I remind him of that every chance I get. Uh, and we kickstarted the first two issues called The Lead and The Follow-Up. Uh, and now we're going to kickstart the next three issues called The Opening Act, The Sideshow, and The Main Attraction. And this is going to be a 12-part series. And Pat and I have a full season mapped out. We are got a lot of season two fleshed out, and we're working on some ideas for season three. So... I'm really proud of the comic books that we've created. That's probably something I really want people to look forward to. Um, that's all SRG related. I also am working with some people locally uh, from other states as well. I'm trying to build a record label and, you know, some, some SRG flavor, but separate. It's called Some Random Goddess Records. And that's something that I'm doing now. We've been creating music. We've been mixing it. We bring in guests in. Uh, and we're going to try to put out a collective album by the end of this year and see where it goes. And maybe it 
does really well. Maybe it doesn't do anything at all, but we're doing it the right way by incorporating or registering ourselves as a distribution company. We're signing a team of engineers and editors and performers. Uh, and hopefully that could be something huge. If not, I get together with a group of friends and we make music, you know, once every couple of weeks. So that's in itself is a really great experience. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. For my final question, I would like to know if you could be the designer of any game that's out there of the like few that you have played the 3040 or whatever, you can slap your name on it. We're going to pretend magically you designed it now. What game would it be? I think it'd be pretty funny to be the creator of Rock, Scissors, Paper and just like definitively say that this is it. I don't know if that counts, but like if I'm like, this is the <laughs> guy that created Rock, Scissors, Paper, I think some of the games have been designed off that. Um, so that would be my answer. Or That's the so one that funny. makes me the most money, which would probably be Monopoly if I had a guess, but like my initial is Rock, Scissors, Paper. That's so funny. I always go rock, paper, scissors, rock, That's scissors, why paper. I want to be the opener, right? Okay. Like I would say definitively, listen, I made the game, folks. This is how it goes. But there's always that discrepancy, right? Is it rock, scissors, paper, or rock, paper, scissors? Um, that would be really funny. That is and so like, funny. Imagine just being out somewhere and like, what's the the quick go-to when you don't have anything to break a tiebreaker? And people are like, would you want to play rock, scissors, paper? And I'm like, do I? I do actually. I'm the creator of this. Go check the Wikipedia page. That's so funny. That is the most creative answer I've heard. And also, I'm trying to think like what else I would use. Maybe like Eeny Meeny Miny Mo. That. Yeah. Right. Crap. Like what, <laughs> <laughs> bubble gum. Bubble gum in a dish. Right. Where like you can yeah. calculate the answer. Exactly. Um, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 46, Super Show. And thanks again, Steve, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, how can you be reached? Supershowthegame.com is where you can go order some product. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, SRG Universe, and a discussion group, which is very active. We also use twitch.tv slash SRG Universe, which is a really fun thing. Not only do we do shows that i talked about where we design cards tuesday night we do a show called the dojo where players can win cards for them and a friend absolutely free if they lose we put the items that they wanted on sale for them to purchase wednesday night we do talk of the universe where we talk about upcoming events the week in review and things that might be coming out so twitch is a great asset uh, for you guys if you see us on instagram and twitter we do have those things i'm not great with social media we do have people that help out but if you needed to contact me, going to either Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, if you sent a message over, it would eventually get to me pretty quickly, I would say. Very cool. And I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter under the username Token Gamer. And that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R. Also, I have a website, dmrcreativegroup.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Join us next time.